Good morning, everybody. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Got a little bit of a ring there, Sheldon. Um, We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. And uh, we are so glad that you have come in person. Amen. And uh, we thank you for uh, being here and worshiping together. And some of you, you know, uh, haven't seen in a while. But others, it's uh, good to see your familiar face again. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we've been talking about, you know, the disciples' request to Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. And found both in Matthew and Luke's account. And then Jesus' response to that, which was to give the Lord's Prayer. And we talked about the fact that, you know, I don't think Jesus ever meant for the disciples to just daily repeat this same prayer. But he was giving them a a foundation, a structure, an understanding of what prayer consisted of, what elements were in it, and how they could, uh, you know, engage with him in prayer. Is the uh, stage muted there, Sheldon? Okay. Um, So as we look at this this morning and we continue, we've looked at uh, the phrases breaking breaking the prayer down. We've looked at our Father. So when we pray, we pray as sons, we pray as daughters, not as servants or foreigners. We pray as family. Amen. When we come to God, he was teaching us, come to him as a, as, a, as a son, come to him as a daughter, come to him as family. Don't come as a foreigner, an outsider, come to God as family. And then we talk about who art in heaven. We pray boldly from our position of authority. I'll go back to the handheld. This is too ringy. Yeah. So that we, uh, we pray from our position in heaven. That the Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, I realize physically our being is still here, but when we pray, our spirit has been given positional authority that we're seated with Christ. And so when we pray, we pray with the authority of heaven. We don't pray just with the authority of earth. We pray with the authority of heaven. So Jesus was teaching us about where we pray from, where our authority comes from. And we talked about holy is his name. We acknowledge the holiness of God. And, and that the holiness of God is more than, than, and, than in fact, its first meaning isn't purity. It isn't that he is without blemish, even though that's part of it. But it means that he is set apart. There is none other like him. When, when God declared that the tabernacle and the, the temple of Solomon, that they were holy, it didn't mean that they, were, that they were completely spotless or perfect. It meant that they had been dedicated for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was the Lord's. And so that's why you and I can be holy, even though we still walk around in this temple of flesh that still makes mistakes and does dumb things occasionally, right? But we're still holy before the Lord because we're set apart for his purpose, for his will, for God to exercise through us. Then we talked about the next phrase, thy kingdom come. And we examine how the message of Jesus was about the kingdom of God, that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And, uh, And so we talked about how, you know, you can't really know anything about Christ and about God unless you understand the message of Jesus, which was the kingdom. And uh, his, a lot of people like to think Jesus' message was love. And love was certainly part of it. It's an element of the kingdom. But his message was the kingdom of God. And, you know, if it was just a message of love, why would the Roman soldiers crucify a guy who's telling the Jews to love them? Right? That doesn't make any sense. But because his message was much more subversive than that, he was calling on a new, a new governance, a new king, a new establishment, and restoring God's presence here on earth. Then, 
than the Roman governors, that was as much a front to them as it was to the Jewish leaders who didn't want to be usurped by this new religious leader, Jesus. And so he came preaching the ministry of the kingdom. Jesus said numerous times in scripture, the kingdom of God is at hand. I've come to preach and minister the kingdom. In fact, Gordon Fee, uh, you know, professor of theology at Regent College of Vancouver, he said, you cannot know anything about Jesus, anything if you miss the kingdom of God. You're zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus, but the kingdom of God, and therefore have literally done Jesus in. Wow, those are strong, strong words. And so then we talked about what the kingdom was. The kingdom is a, a, a governance. It's a thought and authority. And the word in scripture is uh, basileia. That's the word of the kingdom. And Jesus used that phrase over and over and over again, that the kingdom of God was here, that God came to bring his kingdom. Amen. So let's move forward this morning to the next part of the prayer. He says, thy kingdom come. Then he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to break that statement down to three points. Thy kingdom come or thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus defines his purpose in the light of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 4 and uh, verse 43 there, Gord, it says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus makes it clear that the purpose that he was sent for was to minister the message of the kingdom of God. He said, that's what I was sent for. And then John chapter 5 verse 30, he says, I can do nothing of myself as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the father who sent me. Did you know Jesus was limited by only one thing in his earthly ministry? One thing, the will of the father. Jesus was not here to exercise and do his own will. He was here to do the will of the Father. Even when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll remember that he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this, this cup from me, take this torment from me, take this path from me. But then he said, nevertheless, though, Lord, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Jesus uh, constantly uh, made clear to the disciples that he was here to submit to the will of the Father. And that as he carried out his earthly ministry, as he preached the gospel of the kingdom, as he laid hands on the sick and they recovered, as he ministered to those who were blind and deaf and dumb, as he did the work that he did, he was doing the will of the Father. Amen? So every time that Jesus uh, calls us to prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, in a model that he gave us, he's telling us to pray for God's will to be done. Thy will be done. It's a, an invocation for you and I to discover the will of God and to submit to it. So every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God to reveal his will to us. And we're also praying a prayer of submission to that will. That's what we're doing. It's not just some words we throw out there and, you know... Uh, and it can become habit, right? Like, you know, where you just repeat the same thing over and over again. And when you do, it loses its meaning, right? 
But if you understand that Jesus was giving a model of prayer and you understand what he's saying here, he is telling us that when we come to God in prayer, we should ask for his will and be completely willing to submit to that will 100%. So what is the will of God? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. If we're supposed to uh, you know, say, thy will be done, God, your will be done, then what is his will? What is his will? I'm going to read quickly a number of scriptures here. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter 4.19, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as, a, as to a faithful creator. Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And 1 John 2.17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, I chose those passages because they either tell us what the will of God is for our life or what is the fruit of doing the will of God in our life. So let's just go through what the statements that he makes. It's the will of God that you be not conformed to the world, but be transformed for the renewing of your mind. Romans 12.2 tells us. So the will of God... Is what? That you not conform to the world. It's amazing to me how the world has never been further away from God and Christians have never been more comfortable conforming to it. Right? You remember back in... Gary, you'd probably remember these days. You, know, you and Peter are kind of senior citizens here this morning. But do you remember back in the days when, when you, know, you wouldn't dare go to a movie theater? Remember that? You know, so all oh, that worldly din of iniquity, blah, blah, blah. And what was playing? The sound of music. <laughs> right? It was, you know, sound of music. Seriously. I mean, followed up by Old Yeller and uh, Ben-Hur. You know what I mean? But, oh, can't go to that place. That's evil. Now Christians, oh, no problem going to the theater. And they're watching stuff that's just filled with things that God would not call good. Right? Now, I'm not saying that I agree that there was anything ever wrong with the theater. I don't think there ever was. That, the theater wasn't the issue. But the Christians then had a, a greater conscience, I think, of not being conformed to the pattern of this world. And so they're willing to say, if it's not good f- food for my brain, I don't want to put it in there. And so I don't want to be like the world. The Bible says you're in the world, but not to be of it. So in other words, we live out our lives in this earthly flesh, rubbing shoulders with everybody around us, going into a commune is not the will of God. You know, moving to Timbuktu so you can get away from it all is not the will of God. We are called to be in the world, but not to be of it. Right? And so what we should be doing is saying, God, what am I putting before my eyes, before my brain? The Bible says, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is of good report, think about these things. And then, the part we love to quote, the peace of God, 
Right? Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But it comes, some of you can't find peace because all you watch is CNN or Fox all day long. If I watched that stuff all day long, I wouldn't be at peace either. Turn it off. Turn it off. You live in a blessed day. You can open up your phone. You can read the headlines in five minutes. Know everything that's going on in the world so you don't have to be ignorant. And you don't have to listen to the commentary from Fox or CNN or MSNBC beating it into your head over and over and over again with the most bifurcated, that means cut into two, uh, ideologies that I've ever seen. You listen to one station and you get one thing and you listen to another station and you get another. How about you just turn them all off? Amen? And while you're at it, you know, streamline all that other stuff too. Spend some time in the Word. Whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, of good report, think about these things and then the Lord will guard your heart and mind. Amen? Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah, there you go, Peter. Put the baseball game on. Only you have to mute all the commercials now. So. <laughs> or you can watch the Leafs play. Hallelujah. Come on now. Come on now. Okay. So what else do these verses teach us? It's the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. Oh, does a pastor even dare say that from the pulpit these days? It's like open season on everything. And again... It seems like the further we get away from the word of God, the more open the church is to be in conform to the world. You would think it would be the opposite, right? Uh, then he says uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5 and 18, it's the will of God that you give thanks in everything. Now notice it doesn't say give thanks for everything. It says give thanks in everything. So no matter what situation you're in, no matter how hard the enemy's pressing you, no matter how difficult things are at work or with family or any other thing, right? Give thanks. Give thanks. That's the will of God. It's another will of God verse. The will of God is for you to give thanks in everything. So I wake up in the morning and you go outside and your vehicle won't start. Praise the Lord. Just going to give thanks to you today, Lord, for this. I know there's something good going to come out of this. I just don't know what it is right now, but I'm giving thanks because my car won't start. Hallelujah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's not that we, we are thankful that the car won't start, but we know how to give thanks when the car won't start, right? Because our focus is on him, not on the car. Someone say amen. And then finally, in 1 Peter 2.15 and 1 Peter 4.19, we read that it's the will of God for you to do good. It's the will of God for you to do good. You know, the, there's the thinking that if I do good, then God will let me into heaven because I've done good. That's not true. The Bible says your works of righteousness can't earn you anything. In fact, before God, they're like filthy rags. Right? And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8, right, and 9, for by grace, everybody say, what grace? Grace, grace are you saved. Through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. So how do you access grace? Through faith, right? Not of works, so that no man, no woman, no person can boast, right? That's what it says. So that's how we're saved. So your good works, they don't, they don't do anything to procure your salvation. But isn't it interesting, verse 10, the next verse. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, Everybody say, created in Christ. To do what? Good works, which he has planned 
for you to do. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved in order to do good works. So the will of God is that as a redeemed, born again, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving Christian, you're out there doing good. That's the will of God. You're not sitting back at a prayer meeting waiting for Jesus to come back so you can escape this world. No, you're out in that world doing good every single day. That's the will of God. Those are some of the things that we learn are the will of God. Not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the ring of our mind. To abstain from sexual morality. To give praise or thanks to God in everything. And to do good. That's the will of the Lord. Now, if you do it, those verses that I read tell us this. That you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. So people say a lot of silly, foolish things now. And one of the reasons I can't stand Facebook is because of all of the, the chirping and virtue signaling and all of the nonsense that goes on there and people hating on each other and all this other kind of stuff. Ugh, it just makes my skin crawl. And I realize it's got a good side to it and all the rest of it, but it seems like, is it not me, but it seems like lately there is more bad than good, right? And so all of the opinions and all this kind of stuff and all these armchair warriors who couldn't get anything published in the legitimate world if they tried uh, have now got a platform to put all of their excess verbiage out over the airwaves. And I just personally, I, you know, there might be people that are going to go on as soon as they're done here, go right on my Facebook page and say that Pastor Kevin is a dork, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I would never know because I don't check it. I could have been hacked five years ago and I haven't got a clue because I don't go on it. My wife says to me, I'm, I'm, we're about 10.30 at night on my birthday. She goes, have you went on your Facebook page yet? And I go, why? And she goes, well, people gave you birthday greetings. And I said, they did? And so, yeah, she said, on the church page, there's like 126 of them. I'm like, well, who put up that it was my birthday on the, on the church's page? She said, Rhonda. I'm like, oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. So, you know, so then I get stressed out. I go, what am I supposed to do with this? And, and, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do with this. I got 126. I said, if I even give each person 30 seconds, that's two hours. Two hours. I said, I don't have two hours on Facebook to waste, not at 1030 at night. She said, it's not a waste. And people have sent you nice greetings. And I'm like, yes, you're right. Okay, so what do I do? She said, well, you can thumbs up them all. And I said, no, that still seems like too much work. And then, so then she said, that's, what you, that's liking, right? The thumbs up. She said, ah, it still seemed like too much work going through each other. So I said, I read through them all, and then I put one thing at the end, and I went, click. Hallelujah. Praise God. And, uh, but it stressed me out. Then she said, well, now you've got to go to your Facebook page. i got to go to another one? You know, so then I go to my Facebook page, and there's another bunch of them there. And I was like, this is stressful. It's the first time I've been on Facebook in over a year. Hallelujah. But I sincerely say thank you to everyone's wonderful warm wishes. And there was some wonderfully funny stuff on there and some good stuff. I enjoyed it. And uh, after I got past the stress of it all, I really enjoyed it. It was great. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, my word. So what do we do if we do the will of God? First of all, we, we, ignorant, we silence those ignorant voices. And what does ignorant mean? It doesn't mean rude. It means lacking in knowledge, right? So all these voices that lack understanding, that lack knowledge of God and of his principles and of his truth, 
we put those voices, the ones that say there is no God, there isn't. When we have a transformed life and we live it out amongst those that are looking at us from the outside, they cannot deny what has happened in our life. And it makes them go, maybe I have to rethink my uh, ideology of the world. Amen? So we silence those voices by doing good. If we endure in doing his will, then we'll receive the promise. What's the promise he's referring to in Hebrews 10, 36? It's the promise of eternal life, salvation, uh, blessing of God, everything that comes through grace. So if we, if we stay faithful to him, then the Bible says we will receive that promise. And then finally, if we do the will of God, it says we'll abide with the Lord forever. So, you know, if you, by his grace, accept and come to him, which is to come to him by faith, and then, having been redeemed by faith, do good works, you can anticipate being with him forever. Isn't it awesome? Aren't you glad that it isn't, it isn't like in a balance, you know, and it's, uh, and it's dependent on your performance? And so every day at the end of the day, you have to go, was I good enough today to make it to heaven? Or am I going to get the boot? Right? Aren't you glad it's not like that? Aren't you glad that it was paid by Jesus Christ and it's based on him? And that I, I am able to work from uh, his grace instead of for it? That I get to work from his goodness instead of for it. I get to work from his blessing instead of for it. That is the kingdom of God. And it's his will that I should do that. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we want to, thy will be done. The next part of that phrase is on earth. So where do we exercise the will of God? Right here. Right here. I know some people say, yes, I'm willing to do the Lord's will. As soon as I get to heaven, I'll get on it. It's how some Christians live. It's like, you know, God has, doesn't even enter their mind, but they're ready. So the one day when they get to heaven, yes, then, oh, to be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. Yes, I'm looking forward to that, Jesus. Yeah. And then he puts his finger on something he wants you to do here, and you're like, <laughs> no. But where does he want his will done? On earth. On earth. Psalm 115 uh, Verse 16, Gord put that up there. It says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to who? Who's he given it to? The sons of men. He's given it to us. Everybody say, male or female, I'm a son of God. You are. You're a child of God. And he's given this dominion to every one of us. We have been given the earth. We've been given it to steward. We've been given it to bring into a place of obedience we are vice regents of God's heavenly authority here in this realm. Every person on earth, every person on earth is really, if you think about it, searching for two things. Purpose and power. You boil it down. Almost everything that we do is in the fulfillment of the search of purpose and power. Purpose and power. Purpose and power. In fact, all the religions of the world are helping to solve the question of what's my purpose and where do I get or how much power do I have over my life? That's why things about what's the will of God, uh, even debates in Christianity, uh, all boil down to whether I have sovereign will or whether the will of uh, God has, is all sovereign, right? You've heard all those arguments back and forth. Why? Because purpose and power are the two things that we're looking for an answer for. We're looking for understanding of it. 
And the answer for that problem, especially when it comes to faith, is the message of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God helps us understand purpose and power. We know that our purpose as vice regents of his kingdom is to establish his dominion here. And that our power comes from his divine authority in heaven. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That statement documents one of the most powerful declarations made in scripture. That God said, let us make man in our image. And then he said, and we will give him dominion. That word dominion in the Hebrew is the word mamlika. And what that word means is it means authority. It means to have the role of the one who is over something else. It doesn't mean that we get to mistreat the earth or abuse the earth or neglect the earth. Just like you wouldn't, as a husband, abuse or neglect or mistreat your spouse. And so we understand that when the Bible says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, it doesn't mean that your husband has got the right to treat you in any way poorly. In fact, just the opposite. He's supposed to love you as Christ loved the church. So I think those who lead all of the efforts to, to make the planet better, to make the planet healthier, to make the planet stronger, should be Christians. But it should be balanced with our authority. That the earth is here to serve our needs. God made the earth to serve the needs of humanity. And every resource on the earth is there for us. We need to steward it properly, yes. But it's there for who? Us. It's there for us. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? And so God has put all things, everybody say all things, under our feet. Amen? We have been given authority. So the first thing that the creator gave the created was a dominion, a kingdom, and it was called the earth. And we are supposed to, as the Lord told, told us to pray, to your will be done, where? On earth. This is where we are called to live it out. When man sinned in the garden, think about this. When man sinned in the garden, we didn't just lose a relationship with God and a connection to heaven, or even the fact that we would have a, a, a pass into heaven, when we died. No, no, no. We lost our kingdom authority here on earth. We lost our place of authority. And that's why when Jesus came, he was preaching the message of the kingdom, Basileia. What was he preaching? The message of restored authority here on earth. The message that Jesus preached was the message of the kingdom. Now, part of the message of the kingdom is the message of salvation. We need to be redeemed and cleaned up by his presence so we can exercise his kingdom authority. But make no mistake, he came to restore the kingdom. Amen? So our search is not for religion. Our search isn't even for heaven. Our search is for our kingdom purpose and our kingdom power that we lost in the garden. And humanity's been searching for it for thousands of years. Jesus came to restore it to his people again. Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth, that we have been restored to a place of authority here on earth. Now, last point. 
Now, how do we exercise that authority on earth? What is our end game? What is our goal? On earth, what? As it is in heaven. Our end game is to exercise his authority in this realm to make it like heaven. To make it like heaven. We shouldn't stop on ourselves. So many people come to God, and rightfully so, because we have a need. We look at our life and we recognize our life is not complete. Our life is not good. There are so many holes and pockets uh, and needs in my heart and in my life. So I, I'm driven to come to Jesus. And I come to him and I say, Lord, heal me. Lord, touch me. Lord, forgive me. And 99.9% and .9 of us, maybe even 100%, we all come to Jesus to meet a need for us personally. But God doesn't want us to stop there. He doesn't want the, 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 the buck to stop at me. Instead, he's saying, no, no, no. What I want you to do as my redeemed ones is to go and take that kingdom authority, establish it on earth as it is in heaven. That's his mandate. And every time we pray this prayer, and every time we get on our face before God and model our time after this prayer, we should be spending time saying, God, help me to have, see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. God's will on earth as it is in heaven. What's the true nature of heaven? Well, it's a rebellion-free environment. Yes, there was a rebellion there once. God squashed it. Lucifer was kicked out. And there's been perfect harmony ever since. Right? It's a place of perfect harmony. It's a place of peace. It's a place of, of incredible joy. These are all kingdom things. So what does that tell us? We're supposed to bring those elements to, her, to earth. We're supposed to take the way heaven operates and we're supposed to bring it to earth. Now, some of you would throw up your hands and say, Lord, that is completely impossible. And here's what, guess what? I agree. It's impossible for us to do that in our own strength. But the Bible says what is impossible with man is what? Possible with God. So we're not called to do this without his help. We're called to do this as ones in partnership with him to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't just shove us out the door and say, now go get her done, son. Go get her done. And then leave me all by myself. Because guess what? It isn't going to get done if I'm doing it my strength. I need the supernatural. I need divine intervention. I need God to help me to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. Can't do it without him. A number of years ago, I realized that Christians used to believe this. And as a result of it, they literally changed the world. For a great period of history, around the first millennium, the world was in a time that was so dismal and so dark, it was actually called the Dark Ages, right? The Dark Ages prevailed in the 1200s, 1200s. And then something happened in the 1500s. It was called the Reformation. And what took place was a, a revelation that God had called us to free ourselves from the, the shackles of, of, of death and of desperation and to look to him and to engage with our world with a fresh passion for God. And what happened is the Reformation literally changed the world. Those in the Enlightenment try to claim credit for it. But the reality is, the hospitals, the universities of this world are not named after enlightenment thinkers. They're named after 
the body of Christ. It was Christians that went out and built hospitals. Christians that went out and literally they changed the world as they built hospitals and universities and shifted governments and, and, and ended slavery and all kinds of other things. You can even go up to Ottawa and look at our own parliament buildings and they're ensconced with scripture all over the place because those who were leading the country had a passion in their heart. Even the name of our country is not Canada. It's the dominion of Canada. And it comes straight from Psalm 72 verse 8 that says God should have dominion from sea to sea and from the river, the St. Lawrence, to the ends of the earth, the North Pole. Are you hearing me this morning? And the influence of the church of Jesus Christ was unbelievable. And we literally were, were changing society in supernatural ways. Because we believed that God had put us here on earth to do His will as it is in heaven. And for several hundred years, the church believed that, lived that. But then we started to give up on it. We started to, you know, accept this idea that, well, the world's just going to get worse and worse. And I hear it all the time. Drives me nuts. It's going to get worse and worse. So, you know, we just have to protect our poor little children. In fact, why would you even want to bring children into this world? Come on, you've heard that, haven't you? Why would you even want to bring children into this world? Why do you have 12 grandchildren? Because the Bible says children are a blessing from the Lord and I should be rejoicing that my quiver is full. Hallelujah. And it's never too full. There's always room for one more. <laughs> but where do we get this idea from? That we should somehow, you know, uh, acknowledge that the world's just going to get worse and worse. It's not. And in fact, this is totally contrary to what probably everybody in this room even thinks. But... I can show you statistically the world's getting better and better all the time. No, it's not, Pastor. Yes, it is. It is. You can look at any measurable infant mortality rates, uh, malnutrition death rates, disease death rates, deaths from war, present situation uh, aside, uh, you know, in Ukraine, but uh, education, education, uh, Women's rights. Um, uh, I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Economic growth. More and more people moving from uh, third world to second world to first world economies. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. All of those measurables, all those indices are getting better. Now, I realize that the Bible says evil will increase, but it also says that the good will increase. That where evil abounds, grace will what? Much more abound. So that what you have is that, yes, those two things are going to come up. And there, there is a push by governments for all kinds of things that we as Christians go, eh, that's not good. But at the end, when the Lord comes and he receives his harvest, what does he do? He, he, the Bible says he separates the wheat from the tares and he takes the harvest in. And so we need to recognize that in the meantime, Scripture tells us to occupy, to have dominion until I come. So we're not supposed to just hand it over to the enemy and wring our hands and say, oh my goodness. No, we're supposed to be out there literally engaging every day and bringing his will on earth as it is in heaven. Will we successfully complete the mission? No. And I, and I don't think that God expects that we should, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of prophecies in the book of Revelation and all kinds of places that we know that there will be still those who don't know Christ at the end. 
So we know that. But it doesn't cause us to throw our hands up in despair and say, well, what's the point in me witnessing to my neighbor? What's the point in me being good to this person or building another hospital or, or doing that? You know, I've worked in 20-some countries in the world, and I've worked and rubbed shoulders with all kinds of NGOs, non-government organizations. I haven't found an atheist one among them yet. They're all Christians. They're all believers that have started this campaign to feed people in Haiti or this thing to this, you know, Doctors Without Borders. All of these things, they were all started by people who had a passion for the kingdom of God. Over and over and over and over again. People who believed that we had a mandate to literally exercise his will on earth as it is in heaven. And we as the church of Jesus Christ need to get back to that. Don't throw your hands up in despair. Find ways to engage with your neighbor, with the people you work with. Minister to them. Invest in them. Bring them hope. Right? Because the hope that we have is in Jesus. If, if our hope is in the things of this world, then Paul says we're to be pitied above all men. But our hope is in the king. Our hope is in his kingdom and in his glory and in his truth and in his word. Amen? And so we are called to exercise that, that will, on earth as it is in heaven. And every time we go to the Lord in prayer, we should be asking God, how, God, can I today fulfill your will in and through my life? in the spheres of influence that you've given me to bring it about so that it better reflects the nature of heaven. And for every person in here, the answer to that prayer from the Lord is going to be different. And it's also going to change continuously. God will speak to you about different people you're to minister, about different situations you're to influence, about different career moves you need to make, all the rest of it, because he's, he's actually trying to get you on side with him to fulfill his will in the spheres of your influence and make it like heaven in any way possible. Are you hearing me today? That's the call of God on the church of Jesus Christ. And I realize that one day he's going to come back, and he's, but the Bible says when he comes back, who's he coming back for? A people of faith. Scripture, will, I, will he find faith? That's the question. Will he find faith? Will he find a people whose hope and whose trust is in him. I believe he will. Amen? I believe he will. That's the call of God. Every one of us. So let me conclude this morning. Let me just wrap this up. The Lord's Prayer isn't just a prayer affirming who he is or telling us that we can request our daily provision as we'll look at next week. But the Lord's Prayer is a call to be answered by every believer to say, Lord, what's your will? How can I help it take place on earth and fulfill it as you would have it fulfilled in heaven? How can I engage in that? And church, we can't do it by disengaging with people. Worst mistake we ever made was to disengage from politics, to disengage from media, to disengage from these mountains of culture and let the world take them over. That's worked really well, hasn't it? We need to get back in the game. We need to be the people who, who are there influencing those realms. That doesn't mean that I'm going to change the way I preach. I'm going to stand up here and start preaching politics or anything else. No, 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 that's not my point. My point is that you are supposed to be out there, every one of us engaged in that 
process. You get the government that you pray for and that you empower, right? That's part of what a democracy is. And if there's something like, I don't know, 15 or 17 percent of the population is evangelical Christian, and then it's what, 20, 30 percent is, is Catholic or Protestant, maybe even higher than that, I'm not sure. But the reality is that's a lot of people that if we would get on the page of the Lord's Prayer, we have a huge amount of influence in our culture. Amen? But we need to stop, you know, as the scripture says, conforming to this world and instead be transformed in our mind so that we can determine his will on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Time's flying. Hallelujah. The assignment seems tough. I'm sure if you look at the world today, you go, man, it looks like a tough assignment, Lord. But you know what? The reality is, it may be tough, but God said he would never leave us, he would never forsake us. And he also told us, as I mentioned before, it may seem impossible as we look at it as men and women. But what's impossible for man is possible with God. I can do what things? All things through Christ who gives me strength. Everybody say all things. What things? All things. That's Bible. That's Bible. And I believe we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen? The Lord's Prayer is many things, but it's also a call of action to the church to see His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Father, we just thank you today for the call that's in the Scripture. And Lord, every one of us has spheres of influence that, Lord... Perhaps nobody else in this room has that same sphere. And you've asked us to go into that realm and to, Lord, make a difference. And, Lord, to do what we can to bring a, a, from your domain, Lord, to this realm, all of the principles and the values and the nature of heaven and release it in the environments in which we live. Lord, help us today as the church of Jesus Christ to fulfill that mandate in and through our lives. And Lord, to make the difference that you've called us to make. We are world changers, Lord. And we pray, God, today that we take a hold of that and we would, Lord, uh, every day go to you and say, God, how do I uh, make your will done on earth today as it is in heaven? And I ask it today in Jesus' name, amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Good to see you. Hope to see you again next week. Praise the Lord. Have an awesome, awesome week in Jesus.